trying a little something different this time. Um, I'm just going to jump in. Not going to do any of the theatrics, any of the greetings, even though that's not theatrical. And I mean them, but I'll be honest, I haven't felt like doing uh, any analytical stuff for a while. Haven't been watching a lot of stuff, so I don't have much to talk about. I got two new Criterions, um, The Last Picture Show and Mean Streets. Um, but I don't really care to talk about them. I have, I've seen Mean Streets, haven't seen The Last Picture Show. I'm excited about both, but I don't really care to talk about it. I got two new books on territory wrestling, but that's more research purpose. Uh, really, what I've been doing is watching a lot of The Thrifty Typewriter on YouTube. That's The Thrifty. T-H-R-I-F-T-Y, typewriter, the thrifty typewriter. He does a lot of Walking Dead stuff. So that's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to go into some Walking Dead uh, YouTube videos from the, the thrifty typewriter. <laughs> Say that 10 times fast. But um, yeah, that's what I've been on. That's what I'm interested in right now. Uh, not Nothing really else. Um, and I'm good. But I just like, yeah, you know. Uh, we, we talk about forcing things, and I didn't really want to do a pod today, but um, I think consistency is more important than than your want to do it. You should do it anyway with anything in life, um, even if you get tired or burnt out. Obviously, take a break if you need to, but try to stay disciplined and uh, continue to do continue to keep up your repetition and your. Um, What's the word I'm looking for? If you do something every week, you should continue to do so. That routine will help bring structure and balance to your life, even when you don't want to. So, whatever. Uh, <laughs> the episode we're gonna we're looking to a few maybe. I've been watching a lot of these, so I've seen a lot of them already. The one I haven't seen is the Walking Dead villains ranked. So the Walking Dead all villains ranked. So I want to see what this guy thinks on these. I agree with some of his opinions on the Walking Dead. Others not as much, but that's okay. I do want to see where he ranks each villain. Um, I may watch another episode I watched recently that I was really interested in since it, The Walking Dead be on TV a lot, and I'll watch it. And it kind of goes out of order. I was a big fan to like uh, a certain point, and then it just got, you know, like a lot of the people, I just kind of fell off. But I'll go back every once in a while and check it out, and I still have a fondness for it, but I don't think it's the best show or anything, but I do think at the time it was great. And now, not so much, but it's okay. It's it's over pretty much, but I do think it has a lot to, you know, to give you. But, uh, yeah, let's go ahead and jump into this video. This is The Walking Dead All Villains Ranked. You can watch along if you want to or not. I'll probably be talking through this. And yes, it has ads. I'm skipping them. Oh, he definitely gonna put Terminus high, and they won't. In this case, that's being the enemy of our characters. This is obviously a very subjective list, so let me know your ranking in the comments. And I'm not including every single villain that they came across in the show, because a lot of times there would be a villain that was in like one or two episodes, or they were around for a while, but they just didn't have that much of an impact. So if they're missing, you can just assume that they would be below the bottom of the list. So let's get on with the ranking. 
the thrifty typewriter shout out you've made it to the show That's hilarious. I think they're supposed to be called like the scavengers or something, but I will always refer to them as the trash people because everything about this group just sucks. They live in a literal dump. They have the worst haircuts and hygiene of anybody in the apocalypse, and they talk like Kevin in that one episode of The Office. I waste time. Say luck. We're a few work to drag. Yeah, they got the drop on Rick and the group in season seven, and they portrayed him again in season eight, so I'll give them that. But I chalk that up to bad writing more than credit to the trash people. In second to last place, we have Don and the Don police. Don and the police, that's fine. While season five is hailed as one of, if not the best season of the show, Who thinks that that whole arc sucked? Because Beth sucks. Particularly Beth, just for our group to get there, Beth to die, not to kill them, and never see them again. Sure, Don Goblin is coming to her, and these officers were very bad people in general. This is easily the worst plotline of season five, so that personally just. So that's why it doesn't make season five the best season. Up next is Gregory, perhaps the most annoying. He's not even a villain. Entirety of the show, Gregory constantly switches sides and goes against our group as often as one goes to the bathroom. As annoying as he is, I actually think he's a fairly well-written character. He stood on the shoulders of everybody around him in order to survive this long. He was at least smart enough to gain a community to follow him for quite a while. Gregory reminds me of like a less interesting Saul Goodman, and maybe placing him this low on the list is a bit unfair, but it's my list, so whatever. Just outside the top ten are the wolves from season six. I remember all the build-up to the wolves in season five with all the wolves not far signs, and they were built up to be this really big threat. While not exactly as big of a threat as they seemed like they were going to be, I always remember when they attacked Alexandria at the beginning of Season 6 while everybody else was away dealing with the Horde, and Carol had to go all Terminator on them. There was also this main wolf who I don't really think was a great character. If you've seen my episode analysis on the way out, then you already know that, so the wolves were basically a plot device to further and I like the wolf. Along, but they brought some really interesting plot lines with their attacks, so I'll give them credit for that. Our most recent villain comes in at number 9, and that's Pamela Milton. For a while, Pamela was actually alright. She seemed like a pretty decent person. It wasn't until the final part of Season 11 that she turned into an actual villain. For that reason, her turn to the dark side... Bro, nobody's watching Season 11. Walking Dead, stop. I don't think she's given as much time to develop as needed for a character like this, because even by the end, I just didn't find her very menacing, even with her cool theme. Next on our tour of the Season 11 villains comes the Reapers. Now, when the Reapers were first introduced, they were super menacing and downright frightening. They cut through our group like butter and separated them with complete ease. Daryl having to go undercover with them was a storyline I actually really liked. And the idea of actual trained, like basically military assassins in the apocalypse taking people out is really scary. But after their first two or three appearances, they turned into the same typical villains we've seen. So yep, start making dumb decisions. Well, it seemed like he was going to be like a really great and smart villain, knowing that Daryl is... What's his name? They turned into the same typical villains we've seen so many times in the show. Hope seemed like he was going to be... Hope? <laughs> oh, Pope. That's a fire name. And they got a great mustache. But, um, yeah, Walker didn't do that. You'll introduce a great villain and then make him smart menacing tough but smart is key like the smart and then 
what happens? You got to power them down, just empower up Rick's group, and then bring, make them stupid and make them make dumb decisions and fall for traps that they never would have and stuff like that. And these the, the Reapers, they look cool, but again, who watching season 11 Walking Dead? That is crazy. That's absolutely crazy. Stop. I like the claims. Disagree. Were they that bad? They had a system. Now, okay. I'm not going to say they weren't bad. I do think they did some bad things. And they were about to do some bad things. So, obviously, because they're villains of the show. But that system didn't make them bad. Them about to <laughs> do what they were about to do to Carl made them bad. <laughs> it made them crazy. And they had to go. They got to get rid of them people. You can't help them. But. But their whole system of claiming things and just brought order to a society that had no order. That's what men do. But, you know, a lot of beta. Never mind. Their storyline was built up very well. And the ending of their storyline is the single moment that changed Rick Grimes forever. So you got to hand that to them. They were perhaps the darkest villains in the show, given how they were portrayed in their final scene. And I think they made a really great impact without overstaying their welcome. After the group dealt oh with the gamers, they ran into Garrett and Termites, and coincidentally, that's exactly their order on this list. Another one of the darkest groups of villains on this list, Garrett and the Termites were built up to have this sanctuary for all, just to ruthlessly and emotionlessly kill and eat their victims. We also got a great deal of backstory on Garrett, saying how this place used to be exactly as advertised, but needed to change to keep with the current times of the world. It's actually a very tragic story about who Gareth and these people needed to turn into in order to survive no, they in this did. world and their scene with Bob. You ain't got to eat people to, to live. Again, another group that kill a deal. didn't overstay their welcome. So they land at spot number six. Up next, a lot of people might be surprised by this one, but it's Simon. I actually think that Simon is a pretty great character and all around one of the best aspects. Simon's part of the saviors. Uh, 
some lists have alpha and beta ranked separately. I don't really see any point in doing that, so they're here together at spot number four. If the claimers reduced the world to its simplest terms, then the whisperers advanced the world to its now simplest terms. I think the whisperers were so unlike any of the other villains on this list because while they wanted to survive, I like them. Shame. My boy. That wasn't his fault. That was the writer's fault. You idiot. Here. that the governor is by far the scariest villain. Most of the other villains were molded by the New World, Terminus, Negan, Alpha Pope, but the governor fit right into the New World. The ruthlessness never before seen in TWD as of then. It makes it so unsettling to see him in season three again because his charm and nonchalant attitude to his atrocity made him so evil and immoral. It makes sense to Lance to a sense. He had a daughter. I don't know. I don't know all that. Uh, the climbers from a set of super underrated villains. The scariest thing about them is how realistic they are. Those are people you would meet in an apocalypse. I mean, those might be people you meet in the real world. 
<laughs> um, somebody bring up Don and Grady Memorial. Don's mental state, the power dynamics, what the other officers were doing to the patients. Don said, definitely worth noting Don let her officials do things to their prisoners that Negan didn't even allow. Uh, while maybe not quite as threatening as Negan and his army, I think they had one of the most profound effects on breaking our group. Even since so Daryl, I lost something there. I know you did too. I never explicitly stated Don's officers are using the wards as slaves and dentured servants at best, and they were so effectively institutionalized. Not one of them went with Rick when he offered. Rick is a man that put faith in his job and his uniform. Blah, blah, blah. I'm saying I'm thinking murder slavers, rapists, murderers, with our Rick cut off the lamps and I always see there's a final in the coffin of Rick's old life. Yeah, yeah, cool, but eh. so I said for me, Philip is not only the best villain, but also the best character in the entire TWD series. That's the governor, by the way. Psychological and mental downfall is so well written and captured so well what was going through his mind on every event that turned him after everything in the end before. He kills Herschel. He wanted to believe Rick. He wanted to believe that the world could be better and people could be saved, but he went through so much pain, violence, horror, and lost that his pessimistic side couldn't accept anything good anymore. Then he punishes the biggest symbol of hope and peace, which was Herschel himself. That's a true written villain. Explains why and how he got there, because you don't born as a villain. You become one. There's depth and character development. Philip Blake is the best piece. The scene that he burns blueberry is pure art. I think that's enough. Interesting, though. Interesting. Uh, speak. I, I, something about the whispers uh, intrigued me. So I'm gonna try to find this this video. Uh, ah, let me go back because I watched it already, and you probably won't even know. I don't even know what season. I mean, he explains it, but it's like, eh. oh, there you go. The calm before. Um. That's about the whispers. We'll do that one. But that ain't the one I'm talking about. It's called evolution. We'll come back to that one. We'll come back to that one. Let me go to evolution. It's a pretty newer video. It says how evolution embraced the horror of the walking dead. And I do appreciate that sentiment. Let's see. Season 9. Anybody still watching Season 9 of The Walking Dead? When it's on and nothing else is, I'll check it out. Like I said, it had some good stuff in it, good moments, but by this point, man, it's, it was so far removed from what it used to be. ...fighting an uphill battle. Viewers starting to tune out and the loss of leading man Rick Grimes, it seemed more people than ever before found the off-ramp and got off the highway that was The Walking Dead. But for those that stuck around, fought their way through the storm, they were greeted to mostly sunny skies, metaphorically of course, because most of season 9 is actually very dull when it comes to colors, and one of those bright spots was the mid-season finale titled Evolution. And this episode came at a time when the show really needed it. Three episodes before this was Rick Grimes' final episode, they had a six-year time jump to re-establish the characters and the world they now live in, and also set up the next great threat of the show, which new viewers were convinced was Barry and Walkers. Evolution changed the scope of the season, and in a lot of ways, The Walking Dead as a whole. So 
let's travel through this foggy graveyard and try to recover from the loss of our beloved Rick Grimes and talk about Season 9, Episode 8, Evolution. We start off the episode with Daryl, Jesus, and Aaron on the search for Eugene, and they spot a horde of walkers going around in circles. They all remark on how strange this behavior is, and it's something that they've never seen before. The three of them leave, and we see a walker stop in its tracks, looking up as if it were watching our characters leave. Meanwhile, Gabriel is talking to Negan, trying to do some priestly things to get him to talk, but Negan has had enough and starts playing catch against the wall. Negan says that it's no use in trying to counsel him, since he knows he's never getting out of this cell, which, um, anyways, Negan does, he does that. He's got a spinoff coming. ...by talking about Rosita, how she was talking about some other man just outside the window. Gabriel leaves, trying to act as though he isn't affected by Negan's words, though it shows he was when he receives news that the hilltop found Rosita. At the hilltop, Michonne and Sadiq arrive with the new group of survivors, but the people of the hilltop have this massive retreat, thinking that these people are coming to attack them, but when they realize it's Michonne, they ease up slightly. They drop their weapons and head inside, talking about Rosita and Eugene, along with party that went searching for him and how out of the loop Michonne was about all of them. What is that doing to Michonne's hair? It's not that happy as Tara and Michonne don't seem to be on good terms and neither does Carol and Michonne. Though Carol does seem to try and extend a helping hand and change Michonne's mind about how each community needs to look out for themselves, it doesn't seem to do any good. Meanwhile, Daryl, Aaron, and Jesus continue their search. Aaron tries to convince Jesus that he'd make a good leader if he didn't try so hard not to be one, but Daryl interrupts and says that the Horde is following them. He throws a timer that's set to go off once they get to the woods, and as the Horde arrives, Jesus remarks about how it's grown since they last saw it. The timer goes off and the Horde redirects, and the three of them continue in the opposite direction. At the hilltop, Carol leaves to head back to the kingdom, and Henry continues his apprenticeship for the blacksmith. Henry seems to have a keen eye for Enid, though she's already in a relationship with Alden. At dinner, we get to see the CW cast talk and plan on sneaking out. A lot of kids night. in this season, huh? Enid continues to get under Gabriel's skin, and for once, Gabriel finally shows his frustrations. He talks about how he sent Rosita out there instead of himself, because somebody has to be here to take care of Negan to which Negan apologizes, but Gabriel doesn't want to hear it and slams the door. Michonne and Sadiq sit at Rosita's bedside, and she wakes up startled. They explain to her where she is and how there's a team out there to get Eugene, and Rosita gets up in a hurry. Michonne says that they'll be back any minute now, and they can handle whatever's out there. Rosita says that they can't, because they have no idea what they're really dealing with. Now a freaky fog rolls through, and Daryl, Aaron, and Jesus... Oh, and Dom, of course, I can't believe I forgot about him. They find Eugene, and he reiterates Rosita's claims that this horde is different than the others. They whisper to each other, and they've been circling back around, looking for Eugene. He says that they need to get out of here before the horde comes back, but as he says that, the horde gets there, and they're forced to run. Back on the CW, the teenagers have snuck out at night to get drunk and play games. Henry proves to be a stickler for the rules, not enjoying himself and ruining all the fun. Though when Fu 
fun is tempting your life by playing around with a walker. I'm not too sure I blame him. So Negan sits alone right. in his cell, bouncing the ball around as his one and only form of entertainment, though it slips through the crack and he's lost it. He sits and mopes around until he notices the wind moving the door to his cell, and he realizes that Father Gabriel didn't lock it. He opens the door, grabs his ball, and opts for escape instead of continuing playing with the ball. Later that night, Henry is in a cell of his own when Tara brings in the blacksmith to scold him. Henry apologizes, and the blacksmith says that he knows what he's going through, he's been there before. So he leaves Henry and lets him await a pretty massive hangover in the morning. Daryl, Aaron, Jesus, Dog, and Eugene continue retreating, all of them trading different explanations on how the horde got back to them. Eugene says that the walkers are evolving, and while everybody dismisses it at first, the former scientist with a cure actually makes some sense. The walkers have to be killed by deconstructing their brain, which means that they're still kind of alive. It's not too far of a stretch to think that if they've been around long enough, their brains could evolve and remember things like how to speak and strategize. Daryl then... This idiot... It absolutely is a stretch to think that because if you go back to season one, Jenner told you that their brain isn't on, just the stem, meaning they can move around. But any ideas or memories or thoughts, imagination, any of that is gone. They're just walking stems. Only the brain stem is functional, gets them up and moving, but they're not animate. They don't have... (laughs) You're right. What? Yes, that's a complete stretch. Well, over time, no. (laughs) It's the same walkers that it was years ago. They're just still walking around. And they come to find it out that these aren't even walkers. These are people pretending to be walkers. That's why they're so prescient. Or, you know, animate. But it's like, yes, that's a stretch. (laughs) What? Jenna told you back in season one. Their brain is not on, just the stem. It gets them enough. It gets them up and moving, and feral. But they have nothing else. So yes, they don't know how to pattern or anything else. Anything they do is simply by habit. So if they get into a big group, it's just because they see others like them and say, oh, "Let's move together." But it ain't even a thought. It's just a habit. It's just like it's almost it's nature at that point. Like birds getting together. It's just nature. But like, this guy, yeah, it's not that off. No, it is off. Just like you. First to stay behind and redirect the horde towards him. So that way the others can escape. Though even with his efforts, firecrackers and dog barking, the horde continues moving onwards. Now an even creepier fog rolls through and the three of them come upon a graveyard because of course they do. They look for a way out and find a gate though it's blocked by the dirt from underneath. They try to lift the injured Eugene over the wall, but the walkers are upon them, so they stand and get ready to fight. Jesus makes some cool slow-mo moves, Eugene handles his own, and Aaron's fake hand comes in handy. (laughs) The walkers begin whispering to one another, and Michonne arrives at the other end of the gate. Magna and Yumiko also arrive shortly after, and they work together to open the gate. Jesus holds them off, going for some quick walker kills, when one of them ducks and counters with his own attack, whispering, you are where you do not belong, before other walkers come out and start attacking the group. Daryl arrives, and everybody fights off these evolved walkers for the fallen Jesus. Morning, Malaw 
loss of their friend, Daryl notices something off about these walkers, how there's stitching in the back of their head. Daryl undoes the stitching and figures out that this evolved walker was actually just a person. It's just a person. A Pretending. After this revelation, they hear more whispering, and they realize they're all now trapped in a graveyard filled with not evolved walkers, but people pretending to be walkers. I'm going to show you guys something, and when I show you, don't freak out. So you know this guy's an idiot. So like I said, Season 9 was on an uphill battle, but with episodes like this, and there's quite a few of them in Season 9 as a whole, it proved that they met this battle head on. I don't what know about, about this season and this episode in particular is the emphasis on horror and mystery. It goes back to the first season where there was also an emphasis on horror because the walkers truly are monsters. Now, it's been a few seasons. We're used to walkers now. They're kind of a side threat. So how do you make walkers scary again? Well, the answer was hidden behind this plotline of evolving walkers, a plotline that would sort of kind of make an appearance again, but I'll get to that later. This whole episode emphasizes this horror aspect by making you think the walkers are evolving, hence the title Evolution. We see this horde move in erratic ways, sounds don't attract them the same way that they once did, we hear them whispering to each other, and theme for the whispers is among my favorite themes in all of The Walking Dead. It's perfectly mysterious and frightening, perfect for the vibe of this episode and this storyline overall. We get some suspenseful moments, like when Rosita wakes up and warns everybody that they don't know what they're dealing with, and Eugene reiterating that, saying that he's heard them whisper and circle back around twice already as they look for it. There's all these questions about what's going on and why this is happening, and the reveal at the end of the episode is really great. Even without the horror, there's still a lot of mystery surrounding this series in general. This is where the show really took advantage of the time jump from Rick's departure. In this episode, we see Michonne being treated like the black sheep of a huge family. Everybody's really cordial towards one another, but nobody's really a family anymore. There's plenty of questions as to how these tensions grew over time and what they'll eventually boil into, as well as actual mysteries like Michonne and Daryl's branding, which isn't a focus in this episode, but still one that I think is worthy to talk about. Along with the more mysterious and vibes that the season brought, they also did away with the traditional modern setting of an apocalypse and seemingly turned back time to a more primal era. There's cars that are now repurposed as wagons, there's blacksmiths and emphasis on riding horses, and very minimal use of firearms. This once again makes this season stand out in comparison to the all-out war of last season or some of the more traditional zombie apocalypse settings in the past. Everything has a more medieval vibe to it, and this is one of the standout episodes in that regard, highlighting Henry as a blacksmith's apprentice. And speaking of Henry and the teenager portion of the episode, this is always an aspect of the show that left a lot to be desired. Even in the prime of the show, when they were doing some of the Carl drama in Alexandria, it was always a weak spot. I think this was an attempt to appeal to a younger audience, but it just never really landed right with me, and I got that right. Carl sucked. So Jesus is obviously really still shouldn't kill him off guy. So to see him take out these walkers like he's slicing some butter for his bread was really cool. And we don't really expect anything to happen with a single walker left until it dodges his attack and stabs him instead. This is another death for shock value, but 
this death actually works because it's somebody that we care about and it introduces a whole new storyline for the show. Although I will say it's kind of sad that Jesus dies thinking that walkers actually truly have evolved and they can now fight back. That must be an incredibly frightening last moment to have, knowing that your friends are watching you and thinking that the whole world is even more screwed than they were before because now walkers are fast and can fight back. His death kind of comes at an interesting place in the storyline as well because Maggie is away, Tara is kind of in charge of things at Hilltop, and this whole episode, everybody's been talking about waiting for Jesus to get back before they make any drastic changes. If the newcomers can stay, what to do with Henry, these things are put off in the meantime because they're waiting for Jesus to come back, and out in the wild, Aaron is trying to convince Jesus to take on a leadership role. Taking note of these things now, it's kind of obvious that Jesus was going to die in this episode, and that's because of The Walking Dead's track record to do two things. One, set up a character to go on a really interesting character arc, and two, give them the spotlight moments or mentions or speeches in the episode that they're going to die in. We've seen this countless times in the show. Beth, Noah, Denise, and even Abraham were all killed right before they were seemingly going to take on a bigger role. That's a great point. Like, they'll give them, they did it with T Dog. For the first time in the entire show, T Dog started to stand up and voice his opinion. You're like, oh, well, you know, he died. Anytime a character got a little bit of, uh, anytime a side character got a little bit of, like, character development, you knew that episode they were probably going to die. That's just a Walking Dead staple. said the name of this episode it's how evolution embraced the horror of the walking dead the same guy thrifty typewriter the last one we're gonna do is no way out why no way out is the highest rated episode of the walking dead from the thrifty typewriter just type in no way out thrifty typewriter you'll find it Can I buy direct? probably looking at more of these later on 
Um, I don't know, just been into a Walking Dead kick. You want to hear people talking about it? Even if I, I wouldn't consider myself a fan of it for like the last half of its run. Uh, that, that might be a bit much. Maybe like the last third of its run. I do watch videos or see some episodes on TV and be like, hmm, that might be interesting if I knew all the context of it. So let's watch this real quick. I remember this one, and I remember liking this episode. This one is on a lot, so I've seen this fairly recently. It's pretty good. The walls of Alexandria fall. A new threat reveals itself, and some character tension finally comes to a boiling point. That's right. I'm talking about Season 6, Episode 9, No Way Out. No Way Out is one of the most climactic episodes in the entire series, bringing the story of the first half of Season 6 to a close and introducing us to our new friend, The Saviors. This is one of the most action-packed and really just one of the coolest episodes in the entire series. It's a perfect way to wrap up the story arc, and it does so in some really amazing ways. In today's video, I'm going to be recapping No Way Out and then analyzing why it's so great and why it stands as one of, if not the greatest episode in the entire series. We start at the episode right where we left off. Daryl, Abraham, and Sasha are on the road back to Alexandria when they're stopped by what looks like a motorcycle gang who tells them to hand over their weapons because their property now belongs to Negan. The gang takes their weapons and then orders one of the men to go check out the back with Daryl. The leader continues talking to Abraham and Sasha, telling them that if you have to eat shit, it's best not to nibble on them. Daryl blows up the saviors and they head back to Alexandria. Abraham saying, nibble on that to the dead man. Back at Alexandria, walkers roam the one-time safe haven. Rick, Carl, Jesse, Sam, Ron, Michonne, and Father Gabriel walk through the crowd dressed in walker guns, trying to get somewhere safe. Rick forms a new plan to go back to the quarry and grab their vehicles to try and lure the walkers away. But Jesse worries about the trip for Judith. Father Gabriel volunteers to take Judith and keep her safe. Rick decides to trust him, and Gabriel takes Judith away. Tara and Rosita argue about going to try and save the about the trip for Judith. Father Gabriel volunteers to take Judith and keep her safe. Rick decides to trust him, and Gabriel takes Judith away. Tara and Rosita argue about going to try and save Denise, who was just taken by the wolf leader in the previous episode. Carol and Morgan are recovering from the fight they had over killing the wolf leader or not, so both of them missed out when he took Denise. Carol was the one who wanted to kill the wolf, but Morgan wanted to save him because this was back when all life was precious. Glenn and Edith run into the church looking for supplies. They talk about why it is they're fighting and how important it is. Glenn tells her that even though people are gone, they still stay with you, and that's why it's important to keep on fighting. Glenn wants Edith to stay in the church, where I feel like Father Gabriel should have arrived by now, but he's not, so whatever. Denise and the wolf hide from the walkers. Then, out of nowhere, we come to Rick and company still walking through the crowd, and it's like pitch black outside. I know it never really goes over how big Alexandria is, but it's like. That's a good point. Dang. It was daylight when they first left that house. They were still walking at night. How long? How big is. Do y'all. <laughs> Do y'all use uh, tractors to get around or like golf carts or horse? Like, if y'all walking through that, y'all getting the good steps in there, bro. Like, dang. I didn't notice that they're just now, like, yeah, like y'all was walking pretty much all day, bro. Sam gets scared around the walkers because of the story Carol threatened him with. They all try to motivate him to keep moving, but he is apparently making too much noise and gets bit. Jesse starts screaming and she starts getting bit, forcing Rick to go through this immediate heartbreak. 
but he has to get over it and keep moving. Jesse has a literal death grip on Carl's hand, so Rick has to cut off her arm with his hatchet. Ron takes this time to name his gun Rick, forcing Michonne to run. This episode is stupid because all of them should have been dead. They're just standing out amongst this, that sea of walkers. Stabbing people, holding guns up, talking, crying. That walker's like, what is going on here? So, yeah. Like, by this point, they got real kind of stupid. So, you just have to kind of go with that if you were going to continue watching this show. That's a fire line. Is that we've been praying? I remember Gabriel saying like we've been praying to God to save us, and now He has because He's gave us the courage to save ourselves. That's usually how that happens. You know, as somebody who believes in the Most High and His Son and the Bible, you know that um everything that you ask for might not come in the physical form; it usually comes in a mental form giving you the power to then go and get whatever it is you asked him for because maybe you didn't think you could before so it's not always physical a lot of the time it's mental and you thank him for the courage to go and accomplish what you want accomplished doesn't mean he's always going to do it for you because you know what they say from the bible faith without works is dead so but i'm not going to even get into all that also see Rick's effort and decide to go out and help. They start clearing out walkers when Morgan sees the zombified version of the wolf, forcing him to put an end to his life once and for all. Glenn sees that Maggie is being cornered on the outpost, so he causes a distraction from Maggie seeing that her husband actually is alive, though it looks like he may not be for much longer. He starts getting cornered by walkers once again when a barrage of machine gun fire saves him from seeing Abraham and Sasha taking them out from above on the other side of the wall. Glenn and Daryl exchange words in the truck asking what the hell happened here, and neither of them actually know because neither of them were there. But Daryl says if they can round them all up, they can get rid of them easier. They back the truck up and release the gasoline into the lake. Daryl fires the RPG into the lake and sets it ablaze. The walkers head into the fire, but Rick tells them not to let up, so they continue their stand. Our group and all the Alexandrians alike finding the courage to stand up and fight for their home. In the morning, walker bodies cover the streets of Alexandria as the group sits down and rests. Injuries are tended to, and Rick sits by an injured Carl. He 
says that he was wrong about the Alexandrians. They can learn to fight, and they are strong enough to survive. He tells Carl that he wants to show him the new world. He wants to make that new world for him. Carl closes his fingers on Rick's hand, and the episode ends. Finding a reputable business should be. There's a lot of people who would say this is their favorite episode of all time, and that makes sense as this tops the chart for the highest rated episode of the series, along with No Sanctuary and Too Far Gone, both of which are videos I've covered, so if you haven't already, you should check those out. For a time, this would be my go-to episode for which was my favorite, but maybe because I've always said that for such a long time and built up its reputation in my head for so long, rewatching this episode, I wasn't as fond of it as I used to be. Don't get me wrong, this is a fantastic episode and one of the best in the series for sure, but it's not without its issues. We got our first concrete mention of Negan in this episode, to which Abraham responds in his stoic voice, Who's Negan? And even while being held at gunpoint, Abraham isn't afraid of whoever Negan is. And this is a bit of foreshadowing to when he actually meets Negan, where he is still as unafraid and unfazed as ever. Xavier also mentioned that they usually pop one of them right off the bat, which was obviously an intentional bit of foreshadowing. Well, when it comes to Alexandria, and more specifically the Alexandrians in this episode, we obviously see a ton of progress in really how Rick has influenced them over time. We see a very physical manifestation of the impact that Rick has in this episode. He's the first one to start fighting the walkers, and because of his fight and his courage, it inspires the others to join. When Jessie sees her son get devoured, she screams and just accepts her death when it comes, not thinking twice about how she has another son to protect. When Rick sees Jessie get bit, he takes a moment to himself, but ultimately knows he has to move on and keep surviving. Even when his child is injured, Rick doesn't scream and just accept his fate. He takes action. This is actually an aspect of the episode I've grown to love more as time goes on. Jesse, Sam, and Ron all dying at the same time used to make me feel like it was just for shock purposes so that Rick and Michonne could get together in the next episode. But watching this episode this time around made me realize that Jesse, Sam, and Ron were the last remaining Alexandrians who were still weak. Without their deaths, Rick wouldn't have inspired everyone to fight and they all might have not made it through the night. We also see characters like Father Gabriel and Eugene, who have been weak up until this point, start to prove their worth both to the group and to themselves. They don't want to live off the other's successes anymore. They want to start pulling their own weight, and this is the start of an arc for both of these characters that lasts well into Season 11. It was cool to see Glenn give Eden the motivation to fight by talking about those he's lost, like Dale, Herschel, Tyrese, and Andrea, but I find it a bit strange he didn't mention Noah or Beth when those deaths are far more personal to him than Tyrese and Andrea were. One thing that I had forgotten about is that it's Michonne that kills Ron. I think this would have been cool to mention in Season 9 when Michonne is forced to kill children who are too far gone in the world and said something like, I've done this before, I can do it again, and see that killing this child actually took a toll on her. Now, I want to prepare you guys because this is going to be an unpopular opinion I'm about to share. When Rick is next to Carl's bed at the end of the episode, he says that he wants to show him the new world and how he wants to build that just for him. And right when Carl's hand grabs Rick's, it's like Rick forgot what he just said. Like he was just saying those things he didn't actually mean. After this episode, we see Rick fighting the saviors and literally having no mercy against them. And this really went against what Rick was talking about in this scene. The only reason why Rick wants to build a new world is because of Carl's death. It took Carl actually dying in order for Rick to see things clearly and wants to build a new world. Carl's on the brink of death. That's here, a decent point. But right when Rick knows he's okay, these thoughts of a new world leave his mind. 
So I know I just made a video about how Carl's death was wasted potential, but in re-watching this scene, I'm actually starting to think that Carl's death makes sense. Could there have been a way to show this and keep Carl alive? Absolutely. But as it stands, as it's written, I think it actually does make sense for the story. There were a lot of scenes in this episode with Denise and the wolf, and these are the scenes that really dragged the episode down for me. We see that this no, like leader them. is not a great dude, even at the start of the episode, but then for some reason he risks his life for Denise, and because of that we're just supposed to forget the rest of the absolutely crazy things he did. When Carol shoots him, we're supposed to feel bad for this changed man. I don't think so, and I really don't think he was changed. Had he survived through the night, it's not like he was going to join Rick's group. Rick would have taken one look at him, knowing that his people killed Alexandrians and shot him on the spot. None of this B-plot landed well for me. I can see how some people would like it and how it could make sense to them, but it really just didn't do anything for me, and it actually made the episode worse. No Way Out, while I think it has some story and even some technical issues, is still one of the greatest episodes of The Walking Dead. There's some big moments, like Carl getting his eye shot, and Daryl with the RPG, and the Alexandrians taking back their home, that are among some of the most iconic in all of The Walking Dead. It has so many cool scenes and moments, and wrapped up every storyline in 6A in a mostly satisfying manner. There's definitely more to love here than there is to hate, and for all those reasons, No Way Out stands out as the highest rated episode of the series and one of my personal favorites. Let me know your thoughts on No Way Out in the comments below and which episode I should cover next. If you enjoyed this video, remember to leave a like and subscribe for more content like this. If you do, then I'll see you in the next one. Yeah. yeah, so that's No Way Out. I'm just reading some of these uh, comments. So I said no one ever mentioned this, but this episode was a turning point in the show for the crew. Every place they had been from camp to the prison to the farm had been overtaken by walkers. This was the first time they managed to defend a home from a walker horde. Um, so I think the B-plot does make sense for the story. Morgan has learned that no one is truly too far gone when the Eastman is able to help him. But Carol is also writing that it's not necessarily worth the risk to help him. Or there's other people who may be hurt in helping him. When he helps Denise, that, of course, doesn't absolve him of everything bad he's done. But he's proved that he's not just evil through and through and has the potential to be better. Rick later agrees with this thought process in season nine when he tries to help the saviors integrate with the rest of them. So he definitely has, later has his mindset, but right now he didn't. I don't think Rick would have wanted the risk of having him around. So I think some people are definitely too far gone, but Morgan was right about this particular wolf. People... On the show that I will put into two for gone characters follow Dave, Tony. Neither of them are too far gone. The two dudes from Nebraska in season two? No. The governor, Terminus group, most of the dead cops from Don's group at the hospital. Simon, the savior that killed Henry's brother. Who's the savior that killed him? Oh. And the one that intentionally peed his pants when Jesus caught him. And of course, the claimers, bad guys from the prison group and most of the whispers. Those be the main ones that got airtime that were in the kill or be killed category. Definitely some of the background saviors and wolves, Nebraska group characters as well. Yeah. I don't know. Since I'm seeing Abraham so happy at the Glen, at the end, saving Glenn is, yeah. Um, but that was an interesting point, him saying, like, it kind of all went away when Carl realized he was going to be okay. 
and it only came back when Carl died. So Rick was really just talking. I never thought about that. I thought he was going to say some stupid stuff, but that was interesting. So, man, this episode also reminds you why it's such a bad idea to kill off Carl. Here you can see so much of what Rick did is for Carl to keep him safe, to create a better world for him. That kid was his entire motivation. It also makes Rick's reaction to death a bit OOC. I don't know what that means. Because in this episode, Carl was only injured, and that was enough to make Rick go berserk. That makes you think he would completely lose it if Carl would have died. But nope. Apparently, the death gave Rick such a clear mind, he decided to forgive Negan. So I interpret that scene in that episode differently than you do. So that because Carl didn't get killed by Negan, so who would he go berserk on? Don't forget, Carl asked his dad to forgive Negan and stop the war. You just didn't want to see that. I agree. Um... The three very iconic things in this episode for me were when Rick's grunts right, when he walked outside all cut together, and a quick montage of Gabriel saying, God has forgiven, given us the courage to save Alexandria ourselves, and Carol saying, Rick's making a stand. So Gabriel's speech still give me shivers to this day. Eugene's as well, and he was like, nobody can clock out today, or nobody can take the day out today. Not today. This is the story we're going to tell, um, you know, years to come, so. I like that. Um, yeah, that'll be it. Like I said, I wasn't feeling like potting, but I did it anyway. I, I believe in discipline and routine. I think it builds character and it helps. Um, and I just didn't want to not give you a character just because I, I mean, an episode just because I didn't want to. Um, but it's going to be less structured and uh, less theatrical with all of the bells and whistles and such. It was just going to be me talking, which is pretty much every week, but... I felt less of a filter. I don't really feel that way most of the time. But today, I just felt like it. So, whatever. You still got something. Uh, shout out to the thrifty typewriter and his videos. Go over there and check out more of his stuff if you're interested in The Walking Dead. And, um, yeah, we'll catch you next week. I have other stuff I want to talk about. There's a movie-wise video on Billy Wilder that I definitely want to go into. Like I said, I got Criterion's Territory, uh, Wrestling Books. Uh, it's some stuff, but I haven't been really been want to watch movies. Haven't been really want to watch TV. Uh, so we kind of focus on other things in my life, and uh, yeah, it is what it is. But I'm here anyway, so let that be a lesson, I guess. Uh, see y'all next time. Peace. Oh, my thing ain't working. Hold on. So, see, now my thing ain't working. <laughs> Something always got to go wrong, don't it? Hey, whatever. Peace out.